You're listening to Popaganda, the feminism and pop culture podcast. Today we're talking about writing about race and the overwhelming whiteness of the publishing industry. Ari Laurel is a writer living in Montana. For a while, she was enrolled in a graduate writing program at the University of Montana at Missoula. But she wound up quitting the program. In this essay, Ari explains part of the difficulty of writing freely and honestly in an MFA program that expected her to cater to white audiences. The moment I made the decision to write about my political communities back home during my first semester of my MFA program, I knew I would hit some walls. It's ill-advised to write about politics this way, my professor said. Traditionally speaking, it doesn't work. Politics are told through something universal, a love story, a coming-of-age story. I understood what he meant. The kind of universal story he described was the kind of writing that got me into my MFA program in the first place. I knew how to write that story, I just wasn't sure I wanted to. It felt strategic, it felt like performing, it felt like hiding. For many of my friends in my native Oakland, California, social justice is their work and love, and it guides moral decisions and relationships. They are community organizers, social workers, writers, advocates, and activists, meaning certain conversations and certain terms are commonplace and unavoidable. How would I represent myself and these people honestly if I was expected to erase what was most important to them? I grew up reading and writing about white people. There's no inherent problem in writing white, but when I did it, it was because I knew I didn't belong. I could name all the famous Asian Americans in popular culture on one hand. Teachers pointed me to the Joy Luck Club and novels just like it. But I could never see myself reflected in these works. I could see my grandparents and perhaps my mother, this generational dilution of the immigrant experience. But I could never see me. When I wrote, I wondered who would care? As far as I was concerned, there was no place for me or my kind in the world of creative people. That was until 2010, when Karen Tay Yamashita published I Hotel, a brick of a novel that tells about the Asian American experience and California's political landscape in the 70s. The Chicago Tribune called it a glorious failure of a book, wishing the novel were more traditional. But iHotel was nominated for the National Book Award and became the recipient of the California Book Award for just being the way it was. More significantly, for me anyway, this work reached out and reassured me that my concerns were more common than I realized. Not bad for a glorious failure. Before the show Fresh Off the Boat premiered in 2015, Eddie Wong wrote a biting piece about how his memoir, which inspired the show, was adapted to a cookie-cut ABC comedy. He writes that his real-life story was compromised to create a show that would play well with a white audience, altering his memoir to the point where it no longer resembled its source material. The network's approach was to tell a universal, ambiguous, cornstarch story about Asian Americans, Wong writes. But who is that show written for? Wong details how he sought counsel from Margaret Cho, an Asian American media legend who told him he must keep on fighting. After the first TV spot aired, his friend enthusiastically exclaimed, You got Asians on TV! It's no doubt a victory, but it's also damn depressing. It shows just how invisible we are, just how low the bar has been set, and how American storytelling as it stands now makes it hard for some to even meet it. 
It's hard to tell your own story to a broad audience when you have been deemed other from birth. We ought to be proud that we made it to TV, but we also ought to be so indignant that we can't stand it. What does the word universal actually mean? For decades, the federal government used intelligence tests to measure a student's mental capability. But researchers found themselves in hot water when scores were used to back eugenic claims. Minority students performed consistently worse than their white counterparts. IQ scores sealed the fate of people of color, limiting economic mobility and even controlling immigration. Some began to criticize these tests as racially biased. The problem, they argued, was cultural. As evidence of this, psychologist Robert Williams created the Black Intelligence Test of Cultural Homogeneity, also known as the Bitch 100. The test drew on the cultural context of Black students using their own awareness as the basis for unbiased measurement. Just like that, the scores flipped, suggesting that there is no such thing as a culture-free test. Similarly, we've seen a shift in the perceptions of films made by people of color. Movies have catered to white leads for so long that executives actively dismiss actors of color, as with the recent Sony hacks that revealed the hesitancy to cast Denzel Washington. An article from the Washington Post shows how the history of filmmaking, right down to the technology, has been catered to whiteness, the films flattening faces of color, hiding them in shadow, or else making them gleam with sweat and grease. Recent films such as Selma, Fruitvale Station, and Dear White People have flipped the way stories are typically told, centering their narratives on people of color. After receiving criticism about the depiction of President Johnson in Selma, director Ava DuVernay told Rolling Stone she wasn't interested in making a white savior movie. Like The Bitch 100, this new shift offers a glimpse into what media might look like if it had always been this way, if universal were defined in someone else's favor. It seems like such a small thing, but it's actually huge to see a focus on people of color in a medium that once aided in their erasure. People often ask why diversity is important. A recent Scientific American article titled Diversity Makes Us Smarter Again, note who the article is addressing when it uses the word us, cites a group's ability to more easily solve complex problems when it's more diverse. This too translates to the world of the arts. When we're asking for a different kind of story from the one being told, we should consider the stories we might be silencing. When there is an appeal for something more universal, more traditional, I can't help but interpret it as an appeal for something more like us. The definition of universal is owned by those whose stories have already been told and told with complexity. Writers who lie outside of this boundary are pressured to adopt the same stories, the same language, used and approved by others. Readers who have never seen themselves reflected back are expected to continue to not exist. Using universal to enforce only makes our stories narrower, but using it as an opportunity to explore the lives of others, so unlike our own, takes back the term and gives it the meaning it's meant to have. Now, I can name names of writers of color whom I hold close as composite mentors. I feel as though there has been a small niche carved out, which I must not only fill, but continue to chisel away at.
That was Ari Laurel. She's no longer an MFA student, but she's still a writer. She's a blog editor for Hyphen Magazine and is now doing social justice programming for the YWCA in Missoula. You can follow her on Twitter at Ari, A-R-I underscore Laurel. Laurel. 